Welcome to African Women in Dialogue. I'm Lebo Hangmasam. Thank you for listening. We are here today to fulfill a necessary mission, to document our stories in our voices. For future generations, we will not be forgotten. Our names will echo loudly through the corridors of history. All the women who came before us and the brave ones yet to come who dare to confront patriarchy, violence and inequality in fearless declaration, who stand brave and unmoving to reclaim what colonialism tried to violate and shame, our joy, our dignity, our humanity. If any of our African sisters are still in chains, then how can we ever claim to truly be free? And the climate has changed, even in Africa, to the extent that the farmers don't know what time to cultivate because the rains keep on changing. We get rains at the wrong time. Have we looked at that climate change? Have we looked at the food crisis, the financial crisis? I can mention so many things which have happened. The political instability in many countries and how it affects women. Jambo Mama Gertrude Mongela. Sigiambo Habari Zahuko. How are you? I am fantastic. Thank you. Mom Gertrude, for those who don't know much about Tanzania, can you please describe your country to us and tell us what you love most about it? Tanzania is the land of Nyerere, is the, is the father of the nation, and I think all of you know about him. He was a freedom fighter, I can say, and he did participate in a, a lot of the struggle for liberation of Southern Africa. And this country of Kilimanjaro, yes, the highest mountain, highest mountain I'm proud of, because I once scaled Mount Kilimanjaro to the top, 19,000 feet above the sea level. So I'm very proud of Mount Kilimanjaro. But I'm also proud of Lake Victoria. This is where I come from. I was born on an, an island in Lake Victoria called Ukerewe, and I've managed to be a member of parliament for two terms uh, for this island. But I love Tanzania because it's very peaceful. I have never, I mean, this is a country where you are free, you you are not threatened, and you, we are just free, like the animals in the Serengeti. Have you ever seen the animals in the Serengeti where they just go, walk, and do whatever they want to do? So this is Tanzania. Welcome. Oh, thank you for that beautiful description, Ma. And you truly are an African icon. You have an incredible career spanning from education as a teacher and school inspector, finance on the board of directors of the Tanzania Rural Development Bank, politics as a minister and a member of parliament, diplomacy as the High Commissioner to India, as the United Nations Assistant Secretary General, to being a defender of of the human rights of women is as well in Tanzania and around the world. It all comes together so beautifully. How would you summarize your cause? Ah, it's a long way. I don't know even how I managed to walk the route and to cover all these things. 
But I think it's because of God's blessing. And maybe I should also thank, to, uh, thank my parents who sent me to school at that time when girls were not supposed to be so educated, were not supposed to go to school. But they managed to take me to school. They sacrificed the little money they had to make sure that I went up to the university level. So I also think the uh, mentoring I got from the early leaders of this country, Mwalimu Nyerere, and the rest, because uh, my political career has been successful because of having the right leaders mentoring me and also giving me an opportunity to be in the leadership. And I also want to thank all my friends, my relatives, my husband, my children, my grandchildren, who have been very supportive uh, making it easier for me to go through all what I've gone through. And that is beautiful to have those, you know, those networks of support um, as you have spanned the incredible journey that I have just barely summarized uh, in my little introduction before. When we talk about your journey of becoming Mama Beijing, which is a nickname you got from your work as a diplomat in the UN from 1993 to 1995, leading the Fourth World Conference of Women as the General Secretary and Chair, where you significantly contributed to the success of the conference. How has this all rooted you in your advocacy for women? One thing is, uh, uh, I, w- I was, I think I've been lucky in a way that from childhood, I did recognize that I am a human being with rights and responsibilities. And the, even when I was just a, a small girl, I used to see the difference between my mother and father and the way they divided their work. And sometimes I thought my mother was overworking unnecessarily. But uh, the other thing I want to say is as I was working throughout uh, my career, my different responsibilities, I kept on recognizing that the difference between men and women has just been artificially created. And maybe it's because of of misconceptions, because I have read the Bible. And if you look at the Bible, Genesis book one and book two, you find out that uh, what the we are going through for the Christians. It's not in the Bible at all. There's no discrimination uh, of men and women. And so I said, but why are we undergoing sort of discrimination, marginalization, if the Bible book, Genesis book two, book one says, we were created according to the image of God, men and women were created. Book two comes out with the concept of being created from the ribs, from a rib. At the beginning, I used to have uh, some problems. But now I thought, after a second thought, I thought, ah, this is great. Genesis book two 
if properly translated, it means God created a man and looked at him. He was not that perfect. So he created a woman and didn't want to use the soil, which was crude, which is rough. So she, he had to pick same, some semi-processed material, which was the rib, available already. So we created from better material, different from that creation of a man from soil. So I feel happy about it, but I want just to say that as I move, moved on, I also read the Quran, and I found out that, in fact, the Quran is even stronger on women, the rights of women, and there are also compensations. For example, if a Muslim woman, a woman is breastfeeding, she's supposed to be compensated. And it, and it goes on and on. So I, I have come to realize all what we are going through as women is a matter of artificial creation. But it has been so much entrenched into us uh, to the extent that now the women are the, the strongest custodian of cultures which sometimes uh, violate the women's rights. So I got so so well, so much engaged in thinking that we must have a world which uh, is better than what we are seeing. And I think we, we after Beijing, I'm seeing some changes, particularly in this part of the world, where Africa, where women have participated in the liberation of the continent. Men are also seeing that the women have a lot to contribute to the development of our nations. And now I'm very proud that my country, although this came as an accident, but we must make use of the opportunity. Uh, we lost our president, Magufuli, uh, a year ago almost. And uh, the next one, according to our, uh, according to our constitution, the, the vice president had to be the one to inherit the position of a president in order to complete, to complete the term, which was not yet completed. So that was a woman, Samia Hassan Suluhu, and, and she is doing a good job. We are working, we are committed, we women, to support her. So we are seeing changes. I never knew that I would live in my life to see Tanzania with a woman president. Now we have one. We have a, a minister for defense who is also a woman. And we are, we are moving on. And we used to have ministers, yes, but never minister of defense. People couldn't imagine the uh, that creation of uh, of a president who is a woman, minister of uh, uh, minister of defense who is a woman, and we are moving on and on. So we hope one day in Tanzania the issue and other countries hopefully the issue wouldn't be the woman. The issue should be who is capable to take the position. 
Indeed. Well said, Mama Gertrude. And, you know, when you speak about those changes, about how in your lifetime you have seen so many of these transformations of society, including the fact that uh, in your country, Tanzania, there is now a woman who is a president. You know, you began a, your advocacy work a very long time ago. And just to go back to the Fourth World Conference of Women on Beijing, which earned you that nickname, Mama Beijing, can you reflect on some of the changes that you have seen happening in the world due to some of the conventions that were taken up during that conference? Uh, one thing I notice is uh, that the agenda on gender is really on uh, one of the most important items on in most meetings, people are now looking at the world from a gender perspective. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, people can now analyze the effects of development programs and see how they even affect women. Or sometimes development plans these days are done to alleviate women from problems. For example, the health programs in most countries do take care of the maternal health, which was not uh, common uh, before Beijing for people to be very specific uh, in, their, in their programs to look at the gender issues. The legal systems are being put in place uh, to take out negative legal uh, laws which are against women's rights. And uh, I think these are great changes. And uh, men and women, it's normal these days to look at these things because I remember before Beijing, uh, once was a minister uh, in the prime minister's office, uh, responsible for women and uh, whenever you started talking about uh, these issues people men would frown and and uh, would be unhappy they think they are wasting their time but these days this is not happening uh, even in parliament you hear in different parliaments men discussing very uh, strongly the gender issues and uh, People are starting to value women as real human beings with rights and responsibilities. So I'm seeing a lot of changes, and I hope the new generation will not lose what we have already gained as far as equality between men and women is concerned. Thank you for your reflection, Ma, and I definitely agree that gender has become so much more mainstream in a way that has become so positive for many people, uh, you know, with phrases like intersectionality and the personal is political and reproductive health and justice. Um, these kinds of phrases being available and accessible on, you know, platforms like social media, 
younger women, younger girls are able to access what these things mean and are able to actually transform their lives and understanding that they too have got rights and responsibilities, as you so aptly put it. Thinking back, Mum Gertrude, of the time that you spent on the United Nations, you know, with the fun fact being that you and the United Nations share a birth year um, and all of the work that you've done there, do you think that the United Nations, as it is currently designed, is still relevant? I think it's still relevant because if you look, for example, on the issues of women, the discussion would have been very very difficult if we we just left it at national levels. But because of the unity created by the United Nations among nations, we could discuss uh, uh, the agenda and different issues without being personalized uh, by our nations. I can imagine in some areas I mean, I give you an example of the topic which really divided us. There are political problems, but we had also a religious problems. You find some with the question of family planning and abortion. There were very hot debates. But they were balanced because we were all under one umbrella. So we could discuss them without being personalized. In my tradition, you don't talk about uh, abortion in public. You look like a witch. How can you delete human life unless you are a witch? But because we were debating across so many tribes, across so many religions, and so on and so forth. It was easy to participate in the discussions. So I want to say the United Nations is a uniting force. And sometimes it helps us to get above uh, the political, the religious divide. Uh, that's the one advantage. And maybe it is also uh, the United Nations helps also people to, to, to have experience from other people, to meet people from north, south, east, and west. Uh, I remember when uh, I was starting to discuss the issues of women globally, I was telling people that one thing is... Uh, uh, when we are talking about women's issues, you come to realize that it doesn't matter whether you come from the North South or you come from developed and developing nations. Because if you are, you discuss about violence against women, women from developed countries are also being violated. And the, the other thing is maybe the difference the way you deal with the things. I, I kept on looking at my own society. When let's say a woman is beaten by a husband, she yells and the neighbors come. They take care of the children while the elders are discussing the issue. You have the human touch in solving that problem. And those in developed countries, they also get battered. But then 
instead of yelling, they take the phone and call the police. Theirs doesn't have a human touch like ours. But they are all going undergoing the same problem. If the woman in the West is in developed countries, they are looking for water to wash dishes. In developing countries, and, and the question is, is it warm or cold water? For, uh, but it's flowing in the pipes in the kitchen. For me and the other sisters, we all wash the dishes. The problem is to look water, to look for, uh, to look for uh, water from the well. So we are all looking for the water to wash the dishes in different formations. So we are going through the same problems. We are all having maternal problems. We are having the discrimination. And in some countries, even developed countries, women are not being paid equally uh, like men. But uh, in our countries, or developing countries, particularly in Africa, we did struggle for, uh, for liberation. And we have this equal pay although we are a poor economist. So we have the same problems, but or similar problems, but we deal with them differently depending on the level of development and on the level of availability of services given to women. Yes, indeed, Mom Gertrude. And, you know, I appreciate that you are shedding light on the fact that we all have issues, but as we engage more with each other, which is obviously what the UN is constructed upon, you know, creating best practices, seeing trial and error, seeing which country was able to engage effectively with society to provide particular services and to bring particular rights to a particular population. And that is one of the strengths, you know, although I'm sure that they do have their challenges and their flaws. And as if the UN was not challenging enough, Mom Gertrude, you went on to be the first president of the Pan-African Parliament. Can you please tell us more about that journey? Ah, yes, that was something. You know, when we were in Beijing, we decided that all of us must... Uh, go back and implement the platform for action. And in some of the paragraphs on the participation of women in leadership, uh, it was sort of challenging because you have, for example, to get into parliaments to make decisions. Those are the highest bodies for decision-making. And uh, at that time, many women would shy away from participating into parliaments because of the election hassles. And it is quite difficult to get into parliament uh, while you are contesting with men. Now, when I came back, I asked myself, what can I do what part can I participate in to make sure that I am implementing the platform for action? And I thought I was better prepared in decision-making 
since I had an opportunity to be in parliament, to be in cabinet, cabinet I've, I've been to three parliaments. I started with the East African uh, Legislative Assembly uh, when I just graduated from university. And then finally I became a member of the National Parliament of Tanzania. And then I went into the Pan-African Parliament. So I said, when the parliament was being constituted, I said, I have to be part of it. Because we are the ones who said women must participate in decision making. Then I asked myself, if not me, then who? And that is a statement you all know that if not me, then who? And that and if not now, then when? So I, I said I have to be bold enough and get into the uh, Pan-African Parliament. And this was the first bunch of us who constituted the Pan-African Parliament. So I was first elected in, as a constituent member into my own parliament, and then the parliament designated five people to five parliamentarians to the Pan-African Parliament, and I was one of them. And then they said there are positions. It was said that there are positions, president, vice president, four vice presidents. And I said, why not try the first to be the president? So when I told my colleagues, who were all men, four of them, they laughed. They thought I was vying for vice president. I said, no, I have outgrown being under men. So I said, I'm going to be the president. So I contested, I made it, and I stayed there for six years as the president of the Pan-African Parliament. It was tough, but we should not only, we are doing more tougher jobs than being a president of the Pan-African Parliament. All the work women are doing are not the simplest, but you have to stand up and fight to make sure that the institution is properly put on the ground. And I did a good job. I'm so happy about myself and my colleagues who worked together with me to put the Pan-African Parliament on the ground. Mom Gertrude, that is such an inspiring uh, thing that you've just shared. Um, I love how you say, I have outgrown being under men. And I love that, you know, this is definitely making me reflect to when you mentioned earlier that as a child, you recognize that you are a human being and that you have rights. And, you know, through your education in the years, this is something that, you know, has clearly fed your confidence and clearly fed your assurance in yourself to recognize recognize that you know you were born for such a time as that to be able to stand up and to take your place and to take up space as they say nowadays and to really lead and become the leader that you know you know you needed at the time so your stories are so incredibly inspiring during your career you've worn many hats you've held many prominent positions both at home and internationally I'd like to know which ones have been the most fulfilling and which ones would you have rather not accepted? <laughs> it's very difficult to answer that question 
know, I've always thought whatever you come across is a challenge and you have to stand for it. So I have to say, uh, whatever I've gone through in leadership, in normal life, being a, I can give an example. Being a mother is not the simple, or a wife, is not the simplest thing one can do. But can you imagine how many women are always uh, uh, constantly getting into marriage and into uh, engaged in producing children? Mm-hmm. But we are, we have not stopped it. So everything is quite challenging. Being a mother is challenging. Being a wife is challenging. Being a teacher who used to be a teacher trainer is very challenging. Everything is challenging. The only answer is a commitment one has to give to every responsibility which comes across you. And as someone who has served our continent for decades and to give generously of your time, agency, and wisdom in all of these positions, uh, no matter how challenging they have been, uh, you do mention that, you know, being a wife and mother is also one of those things that have been challenged, challenging, yet you remained uh, committed to everything that you put your mind to. We'd like to know what keeps you going to this day? Uh, you see, uh, what I normally do is uh, I have discovered the easiest thing is to remain yourself. If you remain yourself into whatever you are doing, it becomes a little easier. If you try to do it by imitating other people, you might fail miserably. So I remain myself. And I enjoy whatever I'm doing. But uh, I think the most important thing is having good friends. Good friends are always very useful in life. And uh, I have kept on, uh, I have one principle I've developed. You must have add on your list every day one person whom you know for whatever purpose. You never know when you will need that person. So every day before you go to bed, you say, how many people have I added on my list? I have discovered that whenever you want to solve a problem, whether it's a child, a a small kid or an adult, you might look into your list and find people who can solve your problems. And therefore you don't feel stuck. But the other thing I think, I'm not a, a a fundamentalist in religion, but I believe in God. So that also has kept me happy and strong. Oh, that's beautiful, Mom Gertrude. Um, and you're right. It is very important to live a life in which we cultivate our friendships and we cultivate these strong networks of support where we're able to collaborate with each other and able to constantly be there for each other as life demands. Um, Mom Gertrude, although you had touched on your the challenges that you have faced or, or what you have found to be challenging yet rewarding at the same time. Uh, Can you please share with us what have been your greatest challenges and lessons to date? My greatest challenges, I I realized them mostly when I was serving as uh, at the United Nations. Um, And sometimes I had to travel 
to many places. And I could feel that a woman, we always say there is uh, discrimination. The men can be discriminated, the, black, the African people can be discriminated as black, racial discrimination, uh, maybe religious discrimination. But for a woman, it's even more, you, you feel the gender discrimination. And, and so you can, in a day, go through all the discriminations when you are traveling. You can feel the racial discrimination. You can feel the gender discrimination, even political discrimination. So women are more discriminated than men. That's a big challenge. And that is what sometimes made me angry, openly angry when I'm discriminated for any reason, for no reason at all. I mean, I don't want to be discriminated as a woman. I don't want to be discriminated because of my political political alignment. I don't want to be any, I don't want to be discriminated for any purpose, tribal or political, whatever. I don't want that discrimination. And speaking of discrimination, Mum Gertrude, you've been a member of climate-related organizations, including the Global Assembly on Women and the Environment, the World's Women's Congress for a Healthy Planet, as well as the Tanzanian Association of Women Leaders in Agriculture and Environment. Um, you've worked in these, these organizations which have been highlighting issues of gender and issues of the environment. So what do you see as being that crucial connection between climate change, women, and the environment? I remember uh, way back before even Beijing, I used to participate in uh, WEDO. WEDO is an organization which was founded by a very famous woman in the United States, Bella Abzog. And she, she, during the Rio conference, she was very active and we were all active in the group to bring the, to the surface the issue of uh, environment and women. And as I was, um, we were going through that Rio conference and also getting into population conference in Cairo and finally into Beijing, I've realized that the women are very closely connected to environment because the environment and nature are very closely related. And the woman is very close to nature, water. If if you look at the water, it's only now that uh, that companies are taking over the the responsibility which women used to take in Africa, the drawing of water and the hewing of firewood. So the woman was connected to the vegetation because of it was the source of energy. Uh, connected to the environment because it's the source of of of, of water, and uh, and you can see that in Africa sometimes 
children in the villages, they don't see the pipe as a source of water. They know the source of water is not the pipe. The source of water is that well and that stream. In that lake, there is a source. So destruction of the world is really a destruction of life. And the destruction of wood is a destruction of source of energy. But it goes further for the woman. The, the forest is the pharmacy of the African woman. That's where you go to pick your medicine. It's not at the uh, at the shop, the pharmacy shop. No, it is in the forest where we go, and women are the ones who do a lot of. Med, who, who dispense a lot of medicine from the forest. I'm one of those women. I know several herbs. And sometimes I wonder, even around my house, uh, because I've kept a little forest, I go around with this uh, change of climate. I don't find some of the plants which are medicinal. They've been destroyed by the hot weather. The, this year we don't have enough rains. I was looking for a plant which uh, which heals uh, snake bites, but it's not around. I think because this year the climate has changed so much, there's so much heat, the plants did not survive. Uh, another plant which used to grow in my garden is a plant on um, allergy that people who have got allergy for certain food, if you give them to eat the food and that help, they will not be affected by the food they are eating. So there are so many things which a woman, particularly in the villages, where very limited accessibility to medicine, modern medicine, they are being affected by the climate change. The, the food is getting limited because of the, the bad weather we are experiencing now. Uh, so I'm just saying a few things I've noticed during my participation in different activities of the envir of environment and the, the changes we are ex experiencing in the world. So if there are any people to be affected most, they are women because they are very close to the climate. And the climate change is giving a challenge to them. Indeed, Mum Gertrude, and that is so aptly put because climate change is often spoken of as something that is, you know, very grand and of course very destructive as we know, but in terms that people perhaps cannot quickly marry to their own immediate realities. But the examples you've just given us about how on your everyday walks needing to use a particular plant 
for an important cause and not being able to find it. You know, it is in those basic essentials and necessities um, that climate change affects us as African women. And I'd like to ask you, what is your wish for yourself in, in years to come? But also, what is your hope for our continent, especially with regards to climate change and the Beijing policies? I am now in, into protecting forests. I think that would save us if we we bring back the forest covers we used to have. We might save the water and we might uh, save the plants, the insects and the animals and ourselves. And uh, that climate, uh, now looking, looking at it scientifically, uh, I've come to learn that uh, uh, the forest can also save us from the, uh, the heat because it will, it will bring the, the, the rain and we need the rains. So I think forest, for me, forest number one. To, to, to change the world and also to make sure that uh, uh, that uh, it the, the trees cleanse the air. So in cleansing the air, we might be able to save the planet. So for me, forest, forest, and I'm busy planting too. In, I've acquired 300 acres of forest and I'm planting and I'm protecting the areas which have not been depleted to remain as they are. That's really incredible and inspiring work to know that you've taken it upon yourself to aid the cause of uh, growing and maintaining forests. That's actually quite amazing, Mom Gertrude. Um, and I'd like to ask you, with regards as well to the Beijing policies, women on the continent, and especially, you know, young women, what is your wish for the young women of Africa? The young women of Africa, I don't know whether this is, if I say it, I look very archaic, I don't know. Because I'm seeing that they are doing a lot of cut and paste in their lives. <laughs> and this is very dangerous. They will not know where we came from. They will copy the wrong things which have put us into all these uh, climate change problems and so on, because they are man-made. And they are doing a lot of, uh, uh, the young women don't know that what they are copying and pasting might be not the right thing for them in terms of health, in terms of uh, uh, culture in terms of uh, getting rewards from life. So there is a lot we need to, to, to help them to understand the best thing they can have in this in life. But if we leave them just to go because of the media, because of the 
whatever sciences they are picking, I think they are going to be in a lot of trouble and they have to suffer a lot. Thank you, Mom Gertrude, for those words of caution to the young women of our continent. So now we're getting into a little bit of a fun personal quiz, just so that we can get to know you a little bit better. So, Mom Gertrude, can you please tell us who inspires you most and why? Uh, men or women? Oh, that would be interesting. I think it would be interesting to know men and women, actually. <laughs> I don't discriminate people, so I have men who inspire me, and I have women who inspire me. Yes, I have been uh, inspired when it comes to men. My father was the first person to inspire me. The way he used it to respect women and respect their rights, even in the clan, was great. He was a great man. But apart from that, Julius Kambaragenyele has been a great inspiration to me. His philosophy, his beliefs uh, have really inspired my life. And I keep on uh, implementing some of the things. For example, now I am looking at the digital literacy. And uh, I wish I could succeed in coping the methods and uh, the uh, the programs Mwadiminyele put in this country for for literacy and uh, because when we got independent about only 20% of people could read and write and there was a big national program for literacy and uh, and we became literate uh, by the time we came to the 70s, we already had about 80% uh, of the people literate. So I'm looking at the digital illiteracy, and which is going to really work against women. We are going to be even further marginalized in the fourth industrial revolution because of uh, digital illiteracy and the digital divide between nations. So I'm, see, I'm, I'm thinking, can I copy from what Marimu did with the, the other literacy, uh, illiteracy, to wipe out illiteracy? Can we wipe out illiteracy through programs like those ones, adult education, where we had classes, under the trees and the classrooms after school hours to help other people who don't know how to read and write, learn how to read and write. Can we do that? Can I get some support of, of computers and laptops and so on so that we can have adult classes? Because there are so many of us who are becoming a digital illiterate. So this is what I'm thinking about. It looks crazy, but uh, I'm seeing without that, we are going to lose a lot of rights and we are going to be economically uh, backward because we are seeing changes, people shopping online, 
speaking on meeting online and all these things so what about that <laughs> and i think that's such a great concern that you bring up mom gertrude because yes indeed the digital divide things are advancing at such a rapid pace around the world people are connecting and creating really opportunities and careers that didn't even exist 5 or 10 years ago and unfortunately it also means that so many people can be left behind at such a time because the the, the tide is moving so quickly and as you mentioned you know without that digital literacy people are going to be further discriminated against opportunities will be harder to get so i think that's such an important thing that you just highlighted can you please also tell us about um some of the women that have inspired you throughout your life yes there are women i i mentioned one from south africa winnie mandela mm. during the struggle for in south africa I admire I kept on admiring her on how she kept the candle burning while Mandela was on Robin Island. So I admired her energy and she used to go around keeping the candle burning. Whatever other things I don't know. But that is the thing I picked from her. But there are so many other women uh, on the African continent who have done a great job. In Tanzania, we have people like uh, Mama Sophia Kawawa. She used to be the chair of the women's organization. She was great. And you can move on from country to country and see these women, some of them semi-literate. They managed to stand firm for the liberation of this continent. I admire all of them. They are my inspiration. And I keep on saying, if I'm so well-educated, and those women were semi-literate to sometimes illiterate, but they managed to put in so much energy, commitment, and work to liberate this continent, I should continue working to the last minute in their honor. And Mom Gertrude, you are honestly inspiring me similarly uh, to know that you have worked so hard for so many years. You have labored and given for both country, continent, and the world. And yet it is something that you continue to be concerned with. You're concerned about forests. You're concerned about you know digital literacy and the future generations. I think it's incredibly admirable that you still have it in you to care and to have this deep compassion and desire to still create a change. Um, I think it's absolutely remarkable. And that is why it's such a pleasure to be speaking to you today. And uh, the next question I'd like to ask you is, if you can tell us and complete the sentence, feminism to me is? Feminism to me is self-realization, self-respect, and a respect for human beings. That is feminism for me. And using my talents as a woman to make, a, to make this world a better world to live in. Aha, well said. And Mom Gertrude, what brings you joy? Oh, 
my children and my grandchildren. Oh, I love that. And the last question is, what are two things that you love to do to treat yourself? I love to dance. Oh, wow. Really, Mom Gertrude? Yes. When, when the drum goes, I can't keep myself on the chair. I just get up and dance the real African dances. And what's another thing that you love to do to treat yourself? Uh, Storytelling. Yeah, many people have lost the talent of telling stories. It's unfortunate. You see, I keep on remembering my aunts, my my grandparents who used to tell me stories I love. And sometimes the stories had songs. So you sing and dance. And then the, my, I used to have my aunt who used to, to, to have stories with song, songs. So I would sing and dance as she was telling the story. So we are losing the African arts. And that is when we are losing. We don't have time to tell stories. The, 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 the phones, handsets have taken over. Children don't even want to listen. I tell them, listen, let me tell you the story. Ah, let me tell you the story of the snake, uh, the python, and the dog. They, they don't appreciate it. <laughs> But for me, I keep on remembering these stories, and they have so much meaning. And I also like the the art of storytelling. And maybe when because I trained as a teacher trainer, it also helped me because when I was teaching, I was among the best teachers because I could tell stories, and my stu- and that would make some meaning. And when I went into politics, sometimes you tell a story, and that gives more meaning than if you had just uh, lectured. Mm. You say when there was this and this and this, this happened. So this finally means patience. It demonstrates better and and it it has more meaning. For example, I once used the story to when I was fundraising for Beijing Conference. I went there and I thought I would find a lump sum of money allocated by the the UN to 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 to, to run the conference. But just to be told, you are the Secretary General, you have to fundraise to make sure that you get the funds to take care of the preparatory process, the preparatory meeting, committee meeting. And I did that. And the first day I got out of that tall building, stood in the streets of, uh, of New York, not knowing what to do. And as I was loitering along the streets, I saw a label of Ford Foundation. And I said, why don't I go there? So I went there, and I just said, I'm Gertrude Mungera from Tanzania. I'm the secretary again who has been appointed. And they all excited. They gave me a cup of tea, and I said, I don't know where to begin. 
But let me tell you the story of the centipede. The centipede. And the, and the, the, the child, the mother centipede and the child. The, and then I told them that story where the mother centipede wanted the child to walk. And the, the child didn't know which leg to start with. So, uh, but the mother kept on saying, you have to walk. And the centipede walked. And up to today, the centipede doesn't know which leg started. So even when I was preparing, I'm going to prepare Beijing, I don't know which leg I should start with. So I thought I should come here. Maybe this is my first leg. Can I get some money at least to do the first preparatory meeting of my staff? Mm -hmm. Anyway, oh, and I told the story well, not like this one, I'm doing it short. And they said, we are giving you a hundred $100,000. Wow. I started walking. Wow. <laughs> wow. I love that story. Thank you so much for sharing, Mom Gertrude. I love telling stories. It's actually what I do in my life. So I love that uh, you were able to infuse the story uh, right now and even then when you were uh, needing to get funding. I think it's incredible. And speaking of stories, Mom Gertrude, uh, just to end off, um, will you be putting your stories into a book for future generations? Generations, will you pin it down for us to be able to learn from you, from your experiences, from your journey? I have started. And uh, at the beginning, I thought it was so easy because of the skills as a teacher, as a curriculum developer, I said, I can write. But then I discovered there's a lot to it. I needed to also uh, get more, dig more information to, at least to, to, to verify the content. And as I speak today, there is a young man whom I have sent to the island uh, to, to cover some stories from people, the old people who brought me up when the young people went to school, and not, they are not young anymore, people who went to school together with me to cover some details. But it's expensive. And somebody just told me if I could get some funding, then people could go around to the schools I went to, to the there are still some teachers who, my primary school teachers, my secondary school teachers, if they are still alive, would get more, put more meat on my stories. So it's expensive. I don't know where, which leg I'm going to start with to look for funds. I haven't really um, thought of, because this is going to the island, it will cost him about 2000 uh, uh, Dollars, I think, going around in Lake Victoria, in the islands, in places where I've been uh, representing and so on. So, there I am, and we still have more areas to cover. Uh, I don't know. Tell me which leg I should start with. 
I also am not sure, but I think that one great way uh, to start is definitely with this African and Women Dialogue uh, that uh, where we are exploring some of your stories uh, and some insight into your life. Uh, and I'm very excited that we'll be able to share this with the broader continent because I do feel that your story is one of the most inspiring uh, to have lived such an incredible life of service is really, really amazing. And I'm really looking forward to all of the people who will be able to hear your story, Mom Gertrude, uh, and, and to be inspired by it too. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. African Women in Dialogue is a podcast created by the Zanelembeki Development Trust. My story in my voice. Thank you for listening. Be sure to follow our social media for updates. We'll connect again soon.